everybody. Welcome to Point of Origin, episode three, the podcast where we, well, we were haunted by the idea of organisms burrowing in your brain, <laughs> thanks to this episode, until I learned about that lady in Peru who had a fly lay eggs in her head, and fleshy maggots gnawed their way through her brain, so... I didn't and need I, to hear that story. In other words, been just... totally okay with you never telling me that story. As a follow-up to the last episode we did, uh, Children of the Gods, this was the conclusion, the enemy within, and the, like, once again, delightful synopsis from the DVDs, because they're amazing. In this suspenseful tale of survival of the fittest, O'Neill and the SG-1 team must attempt to remove a gold larva that has infected Kowalski's brain, but time is running out. Well, I mean, it's not as bad as the other ones, so. I mean, theoretically, time isn't really, I think it's time limit on it's really odd. Well, because it's like a baby one, it's gonna, like, res- it's gonna t- gain control, and, like, doesn't it, like, try to, like, gate out or something? Oh, it does, but they're making it seem like, and, and, and the episode, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, tries to make it seem like once it takes it over, well, because they don't know enough about the gold at this right, point. Right. They're making it seem a lot more ominous than it actually is in the episode. So every dramatic television yeah. show movie, plotline, everything, ever. Yeah. Cool. Basically. Okay. Cool. That's why they, they wrote the synopsis that way. So yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and go watch that, and when we come back, we're going to talk about it. And maybe mock it. Pro- probably. Probably mock it. <laughs> I mock everything I love. I like how you like, limit it to things you love. <laughs> I just don't bother talking about things I don't like. Oh, there we go. Alright, let's do this. So, we're back. We're back. Good episode, kind of, for the most part, except for that one asshole. That's what it is. I mean, that, that, that doesn't make it a bad episode. That just makes it an episode where we're spending most of the episode fuming um, anytime he's on screen. Yeah. When he's not on screen, we're fine. Yeah, but yeah. Th- basically, it's a rule, a good rule of thumb with Stargate is that other than, like, the two exceptions to the rule... Uh, that I can think of right now. There might be more that come up later, but I can only think of two off the top of my head, and I'm not going to bring them up now because... Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers, and also then we have to split. We're not doing that. But basically, other than two people that I can think of right now, any time outside military people come in to do anything at Stargate, it's miserable because they're terrible human beings. <laughs> every time. Every time. It's kind of like a... It's, it's a nice little uh, way to compare... Real world human values to military, <laughs> yeah, because uh, because Hammond very quickly gets gets changed by his team to be like, all right, fine, we'll do humanitarian bullshit, <laughs> and then the outside military comes in and goes, but but military industrial complex, but, so but, but Hammond, so we need the outside people to show that and have that conflict yeah. because you cannot have a space exploration set in modern day and not have that become an issue. Like, Star yeah. Trek is is great because it's, like, this, like, future utopia kind of society mm-hmm. and everything where you can have uh, spaceships that are wholly just out there to do, like, first contact. And, and they're still referred to as military, though, but not as a negative connotation. Exactly, exactly. Because that's a long-distant future utopia society with, like, no no pay and all that. Not pay. No... no there is no pay. There's no money. I know, no but currency. like, I mean, saying no pay makes it sound like, but like, mo- money isn't a thing. Yeah, there's no currency. There's no monetary. Money isn't a thing. Yeah, Not, no monetary drive. You don't drive. get paid. Yeah. There's no money. <laughs> there's no monetary drive behind society. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that works in Star Trek, but 
Stargate was made in the 90s, was set in the 90s. It's gotta acknowledge the military industrial complex. That's one thing I should like about Stargate Atlantis, which I think you'll like too when it comes up eventually, is um, they spend most of the uh, show in another galaxy. So they can't get to them. And they're cut off. Most of the shows are cut off. I know. I as say soon as you said that, I'm like, it's, it's so not, great. Because they can only, isn't it like once a year they dial back? No, because in the very beginning, um, it's not until the end of the first season they actually have any contact with Earth again. And it's just um, a contingent of uh, relief guards basically sent through. And even then, they don't have like actual contact with Earth until like the end of the like, second season or third season or something. Like regular contact. Yeah. And SGA is um, so. civilian run. Yes, but no, it's uh, it's really cool because they're cut off so much from it that there's obviously still the military presence because duh. <laughs> but they but can't really. It's throw really their it's really watered around. down because even when they get regular contact, again, it's not through gate for a while. It's really lukewarm <laughs> contact with the military, and it's just it's nice. But what's nice about this episode is the fact, or not this episode, this show is the fact that they acknowledge the problem with the military mm-hmm. and the military's um interests and motivations, but. The main group, SGC, that mm-hmm. you're interacting with, don't subscribe to that. Yeah, that's great. Your that's main great. team has two scientists on it. Granted, one of them is military, but she's definitely more interested in the science than mm-hmm. the military when she's going through the gate. Has two scientists on it, an alien, and then one black ops dude. <laughs> but the black ops dude had his, like, kumbaya moment a year ago, so he's very chill. Mm-hmm. Right? Plus, he's already, he's already, like, you know... Not, not retired, but he's already become inactive and come back. Yeah. He's already technically he's done it twice. Yeah, he's already done his <laughs> his circuit as you were. <laughs> so it's nice. It's it's just it's and Hammond quickly uh, drinks the Kool Aid there too. So it really <laughs> comes down. A good thing. <laughs> yeah. So it really does come down to if we need a conflict here with you know the military motivations and everything, it has to be from outside source because yeah. it's not going to happen yeah. from the inside, which is nice. Yeah. So yeah, um, so let's actually get to the recap yeah. instead of uh, discussing our issues with the military-industrial complex. Screw the man. <laughs> oh, seriously, I'll screw, screw the patriarchy. Yeah, you did bring up the patriarchy while we were watching. His, the asshole in this episode. Oh, there's a lot of dick measuring in this episode. Right. But yeah, what I like about this show, though, especially um, as season one gets going and uh, Daniel starts hitting his stride, and later on when Daniel becomes more of a folk, because like this show started out and they really pushed Richard Dean Anderson because he was like their one. He name. was the draw. Ah, he was the big pull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after season one, pe- they went, oh, oh people are oh, here yeah. for Daniel. <laughs> like, they like Jack, but people are here for Daniel. He's the one who opened the gate, all that stuff. Is that any time, like, the dick measuring happens between military guys, if Daniel's there, he always looks, like, so confused. Like, what are you doing? What's happening <laughs> Yeah. He has no clue what's going his on. his whole brain isn't just awash in testosterone. But, yeah. So, the enemy within was written by Brad Wright, who was one of the writers for The Children of the Gods, and directed by Dennis Perry. Who, kudos to him, because one of the first shots of the episode is that awesome angle oh, shot of the Stargate. such a good, like, underneath Yeah, like, angle. bottom left, upwards angle. It was great. And, and then, then immediately fall back. 30 seconds later, he reuses it. <laughs> well, yeah, but the terrible CGI of the oh, iris God. shuddering <laughs> under impact. You know what like, that oh, CGI dear. made me think of? You know um, the Haunted Mansion ride in Disneyland? Yeah. You remember the hallway with the doors and how there's the one door that, like, it's, like, breathing? Oh, shit, yeah. It, it's oh, the man, same you're right. It does motion. look like that. <laughs> it's the same exact motion. Uh, yeah, but for me, that what killed me on CGI was the shadow of the, uh, cause, like, the, oh, the spiral. Really stark the spiral shadow. The, the center, yeah. The shadow mm. moving. I was like, this is just not very good. Yeah. I mean, yes, 
1997, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. They put dude. all their CGI <laughs> money into the Event Horizon itself. Yeah, and I'm not going to complain. That being said, I'm not going to not comment on the shitty CGI when I see it. No, that's fair. That's part of this. That's yeah. part of what we're doing here. We're calling out the bad CGI. Yeah. What I love, though, is they mentioned for the first time with the iris that it's right at the event horizon, so nothing can fully rematerial. Less than three micro. Yeah. Well, that's, this is the first time they actually mentioned just how far it is, which is yeah, three uh, micrometers. Less than. Or microns. According to IMDb's trivia, they call it microns, but I'm pretty sure they call it like micrometer. Or yeah, I think she said micrometer. Yeah. Um, for a sense of scale, the average human hair is about forty microns in diameter. Jesus. And a high-grade cashmere fiber is maybe 15 microns. So they are working at atomic yeah. level. Like bugs on a windshield. And my only response there is, like, molecules on a titanium shield. That is barely even... Yeah. Thankfully, that I think that means basically it's a painless death. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not think. even aware. Well, yeah. Like, I would say you don't even fully rematerialize. Yeah, exactly. You're, like, you're, not, you're not true, really. Yeah, your your molecules vaporize before you gain sentience again. Yep. But yeah, so uh, we open up with them trying to... Um, actually, no. We're, they're not trying to dial through. Uh, it's like Goa'uld are yeah. dialing through. Yeah, well, um, while Hammond is starting to sign out designations for different teams to go to, uh, and they're, that they, they've got, moment. yeah, they've, they've got names like P31X9 and things like that. I'm pretty sure P31X9 is a place. I don't, I don't remember which one, but <laughs> I'm, I want to look that up now. Three target shows and how many <laughs> fucking designations I have lost any ability to memorize any of them. So he's at a board assigning these out. There's a great little moment where Jack and, uh, Kowalski <laughs> do, like, this little joke where they're like, oh, I really want P31X2. How how about you take P31X9? Oh, you know, I'm really partial. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to overstep. Because <laughs> they could, like, like, they give a shit. It's it's a great little call out to how incomprehensible the designations are. But, yeah, and then while they're having that little bromance moment, as you called it, they suddenly get a, a little warning that someone's trying to dial in. And since they haven't started missions yet, you know it's the goal. Yep. So they close the iris. They talk about the three micrometers, less than three micrometers. And basically, gold are trying to get through because they are not happy with what Earth did. They're like, hey, hey, we're going to fuck you up. <laughs> so they're trying to get through. Um, they talk about the fact that if the gold don't stop dialing through, they won't be able to go. <laughs> right. Which becomes a really big problem um, in the alternate universe one, right? Yep. Because they're literally trying, because they can only get Daniel out in that one little space because mm-hmm. they've been trying forever to yeah. dial out. Well, it's because they don't have an actual DHD. Yeah. So they're, they can't um, dial their, their computer doesn't dial as fast. They had, they had to design that special algorithm that quick dialed. Yeah, so, dialed, so I like the fact that they have already kind of like foreshadowed that a little bit here yeah. where they're already like oh, worried about They set up a lot of shit really mm-hmm. well in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, there's some like really distinct foreshadowing just for this episode that's pretty great. Because uh, they actually, the camera takes a moment to linger on the screen uh, and the fact that every time uh, an unauthorized um, gate dials in, an auto-destruct sequence starts on the base. Every time. Just in Just case in they case. can't keep them out. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they get through to the... It'll blow up. And they actually take time to focus the camera on it so that anyone watching at home can see... Self-destruct yep. sequence. And then do a little bit of, <laughs> of uh, you know, exposition dialogue to explain it. But it's actually not that bad in terms of yeah. exposition dialogue. Yeah, they do, they do a really good job of, like, introducing natural. a lot of brand new concepts. Because we haven't, we didn't have a real, like, they talked about turning this into a real command center mm-hmm. in the pilot. They talked, hey, we're going to do this. 
and they said we're gonna make teams but they didn't have any of the details and how it's gonna happen um, squared away at that point so they do a lot of like outlining the basic rules of how a lot of these future episodes are gonna go mm -hmm. Without making it seem like an exposition dump. Yeah. They do no, it with, like, really well quick, snappy dialogue between yeah. people. It's, it sounds like an actual, genuine conversation. Yeah. And they make a point of, like, having the person who's, like, asking questions be someone who wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jack. <laughs> or Daniel, in a couple cases. In a couple cases. Military. <laughs> For the most part. Yeah, mostly like... Jack, because he was sleeping through the briefing. God, I love that about him. It's such a believable reason to not have him, to have him not know. So yeah, they do all that. Uh, and meanwhile, Klosky has a really bad headache. Oh, and okay, so bringing that up, you know, so Jack notices, you know, and, and Klosky says, oh, I took a fistful of aspirin. Oh, no. And this, this is slightly <laughs> tangential here, but okay. On one hand, I was raised by a militant pacifist. On the other hand, I was raised by a medical professional. So it bugs me to no freaking end when you hear that shit on TV. Because this is actually like a real fact of life. People, like you hear about like how ibuprofen makes your stomach bleed. You know, the only reason why I would do that is because people don't read the backs of the bottles. Like there's a recommended dosage. Like, people just be like, oh, we can buy this at Costco. So I'm just going to take a fistful of these like fucking Skittles. Dude, Fact, your liver is fried. I never take pain medication for headaches because I'm like, no, it's not worth it. Well, yeah, it's like you see me whenever I get like a regular headache on the couch. Like, I'll take it when I get my migraine, and then I'll go hide under a blanket somewhere. But it's called reading the back of the... The recommendations are there for a reason. And so when you hear shit like that on TV, it's like, this is why people do this. It's because everybody thinks it's completely normal and natural to take that many extra... If the gold, gold doesn't kill him, his liver will be dead, because apparently he takes fistfuls of aspirin. I know it's not a big deal, but it bugs me. So, well, yeah. I mean, he did do black ops with Jack, so... Uh... But still... <laughs> So, fistful of aspirin, and Jack tells him, hey, go see the doctor. Hammond pulls Jack aside to say, hey, you know how you wanted the dangerous alien that you brought back on your team? Uh, yeah. no. <laughs> he does have, you know, one of our new enemies in his stomach. Yeah. So. And, uh, what's, what, we were just talking about how, like, outside military presence shows up because of the fact that the main military presence in Stargate is so much more open and, um cares about human life, mm -hmm. not just human life, but, like, alien life, a any sentient life. They care about people who are not the U.S. <laughs> right. Because of that, Hammond, in the beginning of this episode, does subscribe more to the outside military. Mm -hmm. This episode is the great moment, um, the great journey for Hammond. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you remember, he was very displeased with Daniel on the pilot as well. Right. He's always greatly displeased with somebody. <laughs> yeah. But it's usually not SG-1 after this episode. Instead of displeased, he's just annoyed. But yeah, so he says, no. <laughs> you're not getting you're not getting Teal'c. In fact, uh, there's some outside dudes coming in to uh, question him and I maybe guess. even take him and do tests. Yeah, he, he talks around it. He oh. uses, like, really pretty language to, like, That's talk what I love around about it. it. It's like, in one sense, he calls him a subject. Yeah. He does. No, no, he doesn't call Wait. Yeah, yeah, he calls this. He goes, the subject, and the next oh, sentence yeah, says. yeah, the subject. And then next sentence calls him a person. And it's like, uh -huh. damn, Hammond, you are able, you are cold. You are able to completely separate those two facts in your head. Which is why he's a general. Yeah. It proves him as a great character, you know, how that has to be how you think if you want to make the tough decisions. But it's like, Jesus, man, you literally just called him a test subject, and then now you're yep. acknowledging he's a person. What I Pick love, one. though, is the fact that, like, he talks around it so well. Yeah. Like, he never explicitly says, yeah, we're gonna do tests on him. He's gonna be our little guinea pig for alien species. 
Hammond but should have president. But that's what he's saying. Hammond should have been president. <laughs> um, <laughs> he would have been great at politics, uh-huh. talking his way around shit. I mean, he is friends with the president. There's a reason for uh, that. I can't, uh, such a good bit at the end. But yeah, so, uh, Teal'c's not surprised. <laughs> and takes it remarkably well. Oh, he yeah, I love grace. Teal'c mm-hmm. is the most graceful person on, in SGC period. And that, that lasts for ten years. I can't wait for you to see him in an episode of, uh, Stargate Atlantis. Because that grace uh-huh. translates beautifully with, because the tough guy character in SGA, of course, Ronan. is Ronan who's a bit of a hothead and doesn't really act like that. So seeing those two together, and Teal'c just handling him, just like, settle down, boy. <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. I love it. That is great. So uh, after that, Kowalski's in meeting with the doctor. Poor guy, doesn't even have a name. He's just nope, young, young doctor. doctor. <laughs> who's, uh, you know, giving now him... Now dead doctor. <laughs> yeah. Who's, uh, you know, questioning him about his... Headaches. Headaches and, and his symptoms. And asking him, like, hey, when did this happen? Do you know what might have brought it on? All that kind of stuff. And while he's checking him over, he finds a little cut on the back of his... It's not... It's weird, because, like, he's not looking at the neck. He's looking, like, down, down the spine yeah, a little it's bit. Weird. It's like, that's not where that goes. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> I hadn't ironed that detail oh, No, yet. you know what it was? I thought he saw the cut. Maybe he, he saw the bulge. He saw the bulge. There because right after he goes, what is this? You see the bulge. Yeah, because he poked it. <laughs> yeah. So he sees the bulge of the freaking gold larva on Kowalski's spine. Blech. And as he's examining it, it moves quickly up, you know, to his brainstem, mm-hmm. theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> it's there later, so, you know, and freaks out. And uh, right after that, Kowalski's eyes glow, uh-huh. and, and he then a rather, kills this poor guy. With a rather egregious misuse of medical facts there. Apparently anything could break a neck. It's like, no. I would say their argument in this is that as a globe, those have unnatural, unnatural strength. But I do agree with you. <laughs> and I am tired of seeing this in movies and TV shows. But it's also kind of like the someone getting um, a, a deadly injury and instantly Always there's blood coming the out mouth. of their mouth. It's like, I know it's wrong. It happens Everywhere. And this even proves you right on that too, because when they find the dead body, he's mm-hmm. bleeding from the mouth from a broken neck. Oh God, was he? I didn't yeah, even notice. Yeah, yeah. When 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 um, Daniel discovers him, there's blood running down his arm, and it's coming from his mouth. Like it's it's all the way up his neck, up to his up to his jaw. And it's, he's bleeding from the mouth. How did a broken? Okay, nope. <laughs> Unless he bit his tongue when it happened. Sure. <laughs> That's the best thing I can get. Sure. But still. But yeah. But it's. The, the breaking the neck and the bleeding from the mouth with um, deadly injuries, it's so prevalent in media that I'm just, I, I just have to ignore it. Yeah, <laughs> just, we get it, you had because to have something visual. we know it's wrong, it. but it's everywhere, it's literally everywhere, it's not like one or two people are making this mistake, it is everywhere. Yep. And I acknowledge that with the blood in the mouth, it's a very easy, acknowledged visual way to show, oh, this person's dead. Yeah, this person's fucked. Like, <laughs> the viewing audience that exists today has been trained to see someone bleeding from the mouth and be like, oh, this person's going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's not accurate that mm-hmm. this would happen this much, but, like I said, it's been so prevalent in our media that we've been trained. And then the next thing they're trying to be less gruesome, I think. I think that's how it started. Maybe. Sure. And it's just like a quick way to do it. That one doesn't have as much of an excuse, but it is everywhere. So again, I just have to yeah. I yeah. just have to acknowledge it and move on. You just gotta sigh and, and move yeah, on. Yeah, you just kinda see it and go, Yeah, Fine. all right. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, so uh 
That doctor dead. <laughs> Douche canoe, military man Mother from the outside. Fucking Kennedy. Kennedy. God, I, I hate yes. him. I, God. I never remember his name. He's just Douche canoe. Kennedy comes in to question Teal'c about the science stuff of the the gold, which I brought this up before this guy even came in because um, when Jack was talking to Teal'c, he's like, "Hey, are you willing to give information?" And I was sitting there going, "How much information can you really give about the things you want to know about?" Like, maybe, like, he was a troop, soldier. He would know like troop movement conditions. Yeah. He would know first prime type shit. Yeah, sure. But even from the very beginning, all of the stuff that the industrial complex wants out of Stargate Command is weapons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is cool. literally all they want. They don't even ask for depots. They ask for how it's made, mm -hmm. which is like. Dude, ask for location. That's yeah. what he'll know. Yeah, Tilk would know <laughs> location. strategy points. He would know that stuff. Military moves. He, he's like the military for the gods. Yes. But no. <laughs> That's yeah. not what they asked. But yeah, because I brought that up and I'm like, and I was like, what? he's not a scientist. <laughs> and then what does this dumbass do when he has his chance to like do with the initial. disappointed tone the whole time. With his initial <laughs> questioning of Tilk is ask him intricate science questions, including. How does the, do you even know the science behind how the game works? What? It's a, you know why he's asking that? Because he wants Teal to not be able to answer it. He's useless as an information source, therefore we have to be yep. able to test him. When, he, when he's basically saying, hey, what do you know about quantum physics? I was like, dude. It's like, really? He was just looking for an excuse. The thing is, <laughs> if Teal wasn't such a good guy, he could have just said anything. That guy wouldn't fucking know. Right. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a bluff there, but he, uh, Counted, I guess he counted on Tilka being afraid or too good of a... Too honest. Too honest, yeah. Which, honesty is a flaw, apparently, to the military. No, no, he probably just depend. oh, it's a dumb alien race, they're not gonna know what I'm doing. Yeah, which Tilka unfortunately didn't help three seconds in, he called it, um, gate magic. Yeah, he did call it magic. Go gold magic. Yeah, but I mean, this is episode two, oh, Teal. Yeah, yeah. Just because he rebelled against his gods doesn't mean he doesn't still think of them as gods. Right, like, I'm not gonna, yeah. He does think of them as definitely more than himself, just mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily gods. Because he does call them false gods a lot coming up soon, you know? Yeah. Uh, not yet, though. I think it's after they go back to Tulak. Yeah, I think so. I think it's around, time. It's, around, it's around the time he meets up with Braytac, the guy who taught him. Oh, okay. So, uh, and then uh, while he's in the interview, uh, Teal tells, like, a legend of the race of Tauri. Uh, who had once been... Um, planet of Primitives. In, yeah, Planet of Primitives, who had once been enslaved by the Gold and had been found as good host bodies. And subsequently farmed the, yeah. the shit out of them. Yeah, like to the point to where they grabbed a whole bunch of them and took them out to space and dropped them off on planets to rehabitate those planets. So, <laughs> I love how this, this show goes, hey, we don't want to be doing a lot of weird fucking prosthetic makeup on people in every single world because we're going to be doing a new goddamn world every time. Let's just have them all be human, and here's how. Oh, yeah. Plus, it's 1997 where sci-fi was still having a bit of a heyday, so you had Star Trek, Farscape, you know, shows of that, you know, caliber, and they all filled with aliens, and they were doing tons of that beautiful yeah. makeup work, mm -hmm. which was terrific, but you wanted something to be able to kind of, you know, to make you stand out a little bit. It was good that they did less of that. <laughs> also, season one Stargate could not afford that kind of... Oh, yes, they could. <laughs> no, their, their budget was... Was it? ...amazing. Um, the Children of the Gods was the highest rated Showtime original movie ever. Remember, this was still heyday time for sci-fi. Sci-fi channel was still the sci-fi channel, not the Seeky channel. Like, this was when people weren't embarrassed to like sci-fi at the time. I don't know why they started... True, plus it started on Showtime, not sci-fi. <laughs> exactly. Sci-fi was still good. It was still something people looked up to, you know. And so they, they actually gave it the money and the, you know, prestige it deserved. Yeah. But it was really cool to have them stand apart, you know, stand out on their own right without having all the makeup. Yeah, well, then it was a nice another sci-fi show that did that. Well, not to mention, on Abydos, everyone looked human. Mm -hmm. 
but then it's, like, really obvious that they came from Egypt because they have an Egyptian society right, and everything. Right, right. So, like, honestly, they took that origin from the movie and just translated it really nicely into a smooth and reliable pattern mm-hmm. for their future episodes. Yeah. The consistency was great. Yeah, no, it was, it was honestly, it was a really, Brad Wright, that was a really good line. Yeah. That was a great idea to plant that legend of the Tauri. And I also love that as he's describing this, uh, as like a, a children's story, like the Jack is it's just like Keok, that's that's us. That's us. That's, <laughs> this is where humans evolve. You remember where Daniel showed you our point of origin, yeah? And you seemed shocked by it. <laughs> I do love his face where he's like, "Wait, this is the hell? This the use of the tower?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." The oh Keok's, shit look. <laughs> it's so great because Keok usually has like that really like calm, reserved, mm-hmm. cool face. But his eyes get real wide when Jack reveals. He's like, "What?" <laughs> well, plus not to mention, not just like the surprise aspect, but it had to be a, a sense of wonder there when you realize that the ancestors of the hosts of your gods and the ancestors of yourself, a genetically engineered being yeah. that came from humans. This is the home of everything you know, mm-hmm. basically. I'd be feeling some pretty fucking big sense of awe in that oh, moment. Yeah. Holy shit. Dude, <laughs> this is where we all come from. I'd be, I don't know, I'd, I'd be having like the central uh, moment of just, ah. So yeah, um, I really feel this next moment in my bones because Daniel, who hasn't slept in probably five days, knowing Daniel, no, let's be real, he hasn't slept since he came back from Abydos. No, nope. <laughs> is being lectured by Sam, which is so beautiful that they're already like BFFs. I love, I love their friendship. Their so bond much. is true, and mm-hmm. it was interesting. She basically says, "Hey, go freaking take a nap," <laughs> and so he's like, "All right, fine." And I love that he immediately listened to her. Hell like, yeah. anyone else on that base tried to tell him, go take a nap, he wouldn't have. Jack would have had to physically drag him to a bed. Right. If Jack physically dragged him to a bed, he would nap. But Jack just telling him, go nap, he wouldn't do it. Sam tells him, hey, you should take a nap. He goes to do it. It's because they didn't have him drag, because otherwise the slash fiction would oh, have been dear instant. Lord, the slash didn't need that help. <laughs> nope. <laughs> the slash just needed space monkeys. <laughs> Before uh, Supernatural with Dean and Cass and I fucking, before that, there was Daniel and Jack with their intense conversation. Or the time that Jack reaches out and fixes Daniel's glasses for him. Oh my god. But yeah, so poor Daniel's like, alright, I'm gonna go take a nap. Walks into a dark bunk room to take a nap, and immediately, dead doctor's hand falls on him. I know! Time for nightmares, <laughs> right? His blood drips from the fingers. That's the only reason why the guy was bleeding. There's no reason he should have been bleeding I at know, all. It makes no That's sense. That's the whole point of breaking necks is that you avoid having to deal with blood. That is why there's they no have people break appearance. necks. Yeah, yes. there's no outward appearance. <sighs> but yeah, so um, meanwhile, Klaus is getting a PET scan because they still don't know what the heck is wrong oh. with his head. Um, around like 2003, 2004, I was doing a rewatch of this, and I remember my mother, who of course couldn't force her to watch that show with me if I uh-huh. paid her, at some some point when I'm watching this episode, she definitely was walking by or something, and all of a sudden she made this like little hump noise. Because <gasps> my mother, you know, she is always making comments on how you know this this shit's inaccurate. But she looks over and she's I remember distinctly she made this hump noise, and she like walks like over and she's like, okay, rewind, like TiVoing it, you know, going back. Oh god, it's TiVo days. <laughs> oh dear. And you know, we're looking at it and she goes, that's an actual PET scan. And she actually explained it to me, and I remember as a kid being, like, not really that interested in it, but years later, it's like, oh, that's pretty freaking cool that they actually took the time to find an actual, genuine PET scan yeah. machine to do it. And uh, apparently the, uh, the image on the monitor was an actual, like, 
what the actual like thing would generate the image. Of course, what they were showing the snake around the wrapped up the spine. Yeah, that, that was constructed. What but they that didn't find? I know, right? right, 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 right you know? or but, that, but that terrifying you. story of the lady with the larva in her head. <laughs> they didn't find a no, really no, big one. No, no, no. I know. Weird. I know. It's hard to imagine. But yeah, that screen was real. That the PET scan was real. The show was legit, and they actually used a real medical instrument. Assuming they didn't actually scan the guy's head, <laughs> but it's pretty freaking cool to me, especially nowadays when no one gives a shit. So uh, they they the PET scan revealed the gold wrapped around his spine and brainstem, and uh, I don't remember exactly what leads to storming the gate. Was it just the guy he just to being like, "Hey, you got something in you?" Yeah, and then the guy goes all eye glowing. He presses the uh, alarm, and the next, the next shot is the is his yeah. camera shot. Of him oh yeah, down that's the hall. so great. There's clearly some guy just walking in front of him and just going, "Ooh!" It's, it's, it's another nod to the direction. Because no, that's, I that's love the fact that they don't, they, they have fun with some of these shots. Yeah. They do things with And each shots. time it gets taken over, the camera angle changes to like a sharply angled thing. It's like, you know, the regular scoreboard kind of shots. And then it's I, would, I would honestly be curious because some of the times when he shifts, uh, we were talking about how sharp his movements are mm-hmm. in that point. Especially the one where he turns his head real quick. Yeah, that's cool. It seems sharp enough and I'm like, did they speed it up just a tiny bit? You know, I wouldn't put it past him to do that. I could say they did, and I if like, you told me they did, I'd believe yeah. you. Well, I just feel like if he'd actually moved his head that fast, he would have given himself whiplash. That's why I'm like, did they just have him do yeah. it as fast as he could, and then they sped it up just a tiny bit more? But yeah, uh, so yeah, he he tries to storm the um the gate control to dial back. The first, remember, he's just standing, standing in front of the gate that's not dialing or anything, and he's just got his arms outstretched like he's some holy yeah. figure. It's and like, what are you? Then, and then it was the second, uh... It's the second time he tries yeah. to escape. Yeah. <laughs> the first time he didn't storm the gate, he just wandered yes! in. Yes! That's why they put him in the pet scan. Yeah, exactly. He skipped yeah. that whole yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a great moment where he's doing that in front of the gate, and Daniel's trying... Daniel and Sam are trying to teach all of these freaking military people for the next team about the, the dialing home yeah. and everything. Which is so great because he's just, he, he sounds bored as hell, first off. Mm-hmm. But they're like going into like the science of it. Sam's even drawing the cube from the movie. And I'm like, they don't care. Just tell them what to dial. <laughs> but yeah, so then he storms the gate. That's why he got the pet mm-hmm. scan. Yeah. Because they're like, Kowalski, what are you doing? And he's like, how did I, I get know. here? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. How did I get here? <laughs> so this time he storms the gate control because he's like, okay, I got to turn this on first. <laughs> and of course, kudos to Sam. She is brave as shit. <laughs> As he's known at the time, Chevron guy. No, he's Walter. <laughs> Walter Harriman. His name is Walter Harriman, and we love him. He's so good. But yeah, he starts to dial. Maybe it's Chulak again. I'm guessing yeah, some planet. I don't. I, I. I think it's just assumed it's Chulak. Why it would make it, sense? Because he came from there. Everyone left Chulak though. So why would well, he go no, back the, the, there? The, the major god party did, but which he was a he, part of. No, remember he was a larva from one of the Javat that fell. Because he's he's still a baby. That's he's still true, he's still yeah. incubating. Okay, yeah. How even if it's the wrong planet, just get off of Earth. Yeah. Redial, go from there. So uh he dials out. Sam does her awesome break. Sam thing. like literally runs up next to him to warn them to close yeah. the fully aware that she's probably gonna get her ass. Yeah, she knows because this is someone who's being controlled. He's got the super strength. The she just watched him break speed. Walter's yes. wrist. She doesn't care. She goes right next to him yeah. to warn everyone. And because then she gets taken she hostage. She is a professional military type. She knows what the mm-hmm. right thing to she do is. She knows what she's doing. It's not about her. It's about saving the rest of everybody. We, we were talking while we were watching it, though, um, that season one has a lot more instances of Sam being taken hostage. 
Yeah. Uh, what's wonderful is that after season one, the show seems to realize that their best damsel in distress is it's actually the fucking Daniel. civilian. <laughs> the civilian with no military training. What a concept. <laughs> Daniel's always got the best reaction to being a damsel in distress. Just resigned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she gets taken hostage into, dragged the, into the, dragged the elevator. Oh, and fun fact, she once again does her brave thing where she tries to shut down the elevator. Yeah, she, uh, well, grabs the phone. she grabs the phone to warn them yeah. about where they're heading. Yeah. Um, and to which, you know, evil Gould grabs her, throws her backwards, and slams her into the elevator wall. Which, fun fact, I guess, in terms of trivia, not so fun for Amanda Tapp. She actually got smashed into the wall, and I'm guessing it was a low-grade concussion, considering. But, yeah, that's, uh, not, not the first time they've all been hurt on set. They all got that. Over ten years, they got kind of beat up. <laughs> I think the one exception to the rule of, like, you know, injuries on set and everything is season seven or whatever. Probably before that, actually. It's where Michael Shanks actually had appendicitis, had, had, oh, had yeah. an appendectomy, mm-hmm. and uh, they wrote it into the show where he had to get his appendix out because Michael Shanks really couldn't act that much right then. Anyway. But yeah, so uh, she she tells him, like, hey, you realize as soon as the elevator lands and opens up, you're going to get fired upon, right? <laughs> they know where you're heading. They're going to get there first. <laughs> In a way, he saved her life by smashing her into the wall. But also, by warning him... By the time the elevator does land and open up, suddenly he seems to be okay again. He probably was. I feel... Actually, I don't even think it's that. I think the goal just went, oh, I need to retreat for a little while. But I'd say a little bit of calm and a little bit of calm be there. What's interesting about this episode is that, honestly speaking, it can be entirely up to your interpretation Mm -hmm. when it's actually Kowalski and when it's the goal pretending. Because in later episodes, they make it much more clear. Once the goal, like latch on to you, they get enough information that they can fake you oh, really well. That's no, great. Yeah. It can honestly be up to your interpretation when he's in control, when he's not, when yeah. he's faking it, when he actually does let... I think it's pretty established I'm after pretty the surgery jaded. it's no longer him. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm pretty jaded that I still think he's faking at this point, especially since right before then, Sam warned him, you realize they're going to open fire on you No, I soon. definitely think that I feel he like might have gotten worried and he might have retreated back. My interpretation there is that he got worried and maybe was like considering it, and that's a moment of weakness that Kowalski was able to overtake. I, like I said, I'm just way more jaded about this. As soon as he does the first die glow, I just feel like it's the goal the whole time. Maybe. Whatever. Yeah. Up to interpretation. That's one of the great things about this. So yeah, what we're saying is that like when the when the elevator door opens, Kowalski seems to be okay again. He mm-hmm. seems to be himself again. He's worried about Sam. Jack does like the talking to a spooked animal thing with yeah. Kowalski and the camera angles also return to normal there too. Yes, so they stopped doing that. I think I might have been actually trying to hint that it was Kowalski. It could be. Yeah. That's actually a pretty common thing, yeah. um, to like do like the Dutch angles and that kind oh, yeah. of stuff. It's like the Batman Arkham someone. Asylum game. Yeah. Every time Scarecrow is affected, all of a sudden the camera's like, Aah! yeah, mm-hmm. it's all off hinge. Yeah, it's a really old style of doing oh, it. Oh, hell yeah, it's, it's like, great. It's like, that's like Hitchcock era yeah. shit. Yeah, it's like Hitchcock noir stuff. Yeah. That's where you do Dutch angles. It's, it's subtle shit that you know, if you don't notice <laughs> it, whatever, if you do, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think, like, I, I was paying too much attention to the plot, so I couldn't tell you for certain, but I do think this episode had more cuts. Yeah, it had, the, the it had a ton. It had There were a lot of quick cuts. There were a lot of lot of match Still cuts. Still not as many as uh, like action movies today. Oh hell! No. But definitely more than Children of the no. Gods had. No. Children of the Gods had a lot more drifting shots. Yeah. Now SG One did a great job with <laughs> doing a lot more um slow and you know like not tracking, like tra- not not necessarily tracking but just not such obvious match cuts. SGA unfortunately went way oh, overboard no. on it. But then going back to SGU, they did way more. 
tracking shot. Like, nice. Actual tracking shot. Oh, I'm excited to see that. Oh, it was beautiful. Oh, God, it was I great. know there are a lot of work to make sure everybody's on their mark at the right, right point and everything. Well, it's like, you can actually do, like, blended tracking shots where it's, it looks like one shot, but it's actually mm-hmm. a bunch of match cuts that are edited seamlessly. Yeah. Like, they did that for Atomic Blonde, for that oh, huge, yeah. long fight oh. scene where it's, like, she's going to like, the apartment building. That's that is actually, so like, good. 40-something cuts. But you don't know because they blended it perfectly. The little bit of CGI just I love atomic it one. knits everything together. It doesn't always have to be one actual tracking shot. I can even handle match cuts. You just need to have it within reason. It just yeah. needs to be. Yeah, I was especially just feeling it any other time he was fighting. Mm-hmm. There were too many cuts. No, they, they were going for dramatic like and like choppiness. Yeah, for some reason, place, people but. think dramatic means that it needs yeah. to be like lots of cuts. Sometimes match cuts has a place, like choppiness. Yeah. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. Had, absolutely. Had a great balance of long shot and choppy. And hell, that was the movie that um, the director purposely, like when he's running away in the beginning scene. Oh, yeah. He purposely removed frames to give you that sense of unease. So sometimes it has that place. Yeah. Just not everywhere and all the time. And this it's episode... all during fighting. Yeah. And this That's episode went a little overboard on it, which, whatever. It's still not it's still egregious not that directing. Exactly. And there were a lot of really interesting shots, yeah, too. Yeah, he so. balanced it out with um, cool angles, and he, he was trying. All I need is a semblance of effort. Like, I really liked the shot where clearly someone was just walking backwards in front of him and, like, waving the camera yeah. back and forth. <laughs> I just hate it when you can't tell what the hell is going on because there's so many goddamn cuts. Shit's going down. I don't know what, what shit's going down. Oh, that person's dead now. Uh, I wonder who that was. It could be four people in this scene. It could be 40. I don't know. But yeah, so uh, basically they, they take Kowalski back to the doctor and strap him into what basically looks like a giant hamster it wheel. It really did. All I could think was a hamster wheel. It was, it was like a combination of a hamster and wheel. BDSM. And BDSM. Well, no, I was going to say a hamster wheel and um, Silence of the Lambs, like that cage. Yeah, the- yeah, a little bit. I just kept getting weird BDSM vibes off of the way no, he was strapped. No, I'm sorry. It's a hamster wheel combined with a massage table because it's got a little hole cut yeah. in it so oh, that I, he can right. talk. Because they lift him up so he's like pretty much vertical. Yeah. And then like they're talking to him through a single like hole. It was like a lumbar traction thing. Yeah. But it was just interesting looking. It was. Honestly, I wonder if they though, got parts from the BDSM hookup. Seriously, there's a dom out there who saw that episode and went, huh. <laughs> God, <laughs> gave them ideas. This is my newest introduction to my dungeon. role play with the goal larva. No, there's, there's a, you know someone's role play goal larva. There's at least larva. one dungeon out there that has that <laughs> thing in there now because they saw that and went, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's definitely someone, some couple who's role-played gold oh, post-takeover. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, God, the mental images, they're just cascading through my mind now. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. Anyway. But yeah, so uh, he's strapped up. They're, like, trying to, like, talk him up, like, don't worry, we're going to give you the best, you know, treatment we can. Hammond is, like, really firm with the doctor. He's like, hey, if you don't have the people you need here right now, tell me what you need, and Anyone I will in bring world. them in. It doesn't matter where I need to get them from. Hammond's so good. This is one of my men. We're going to help him. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, they're consulting with Teal because he's got the most uh, knowledge about the, finally, about so- you're asking him about something he actually knows. Right. The gold in his stomach. Uh, and so they're basically consulting with him about and like, it. And he's like, yeah, that guy's screwed, man. <laughs> and of course, Deuce Canoe Diplod <gasps> rears his head and basically goes, hey, instead of doing the surgery to remove it, how about we keep it in him? Right? How about we just, you know, maybe we can convince it to get about oh, the Oh, I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Simone says that. And even Teal's like, what? he's not going to tell you like, anything. What fantasy world are you living in, man? It's so ridiculous. Um, And so he's basically like, oh, well, we shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. And Hammond's like, Hammond finally puts his foot down. This is, this is kind of the moment where Hammond starts to 
completely um, distance himself from the military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, this is one of my men. We're doing the surgery. Yep. We're getting that out of him. Yep. I don't care what you think would be cool. We're not keeping that in him. And then Kennedy goes, well, y'all have to go. Go over your head catching and, and then oh, Hamlin's like, yeah, go for it. I'll just call my BFF the President of the United States, bitch. It's it's the first one who's just like, fuck yeah. Oh, I love when he name drops the President. It's I, so yeah. good. Yeah, it's like, oh, that red phone in your office is there for a reason. Got it. And what's great and- is that this show does not um, stray away from him doing that pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. He does it yeah. pretty often, and I think- not not too much to like a tab no, no. type, which is good, but enough that it's like. <laughs> Yes. And I think other than, like, one instance, it works every time. But yeah, so Hammond's like, no, we're we're getting it out of him. Mm-hmm. The, the freaking douche canoe. Oh, it's so, oh, we, we were both burning with fury at this point. The guy tries to argue that the gold larva in Kowalski is a sentient creature. Yeah. That, deme- that deserves not to be killed right. or mistreated. Yep. Right after, well, after designating the Jaffa right next to him as nothing. Yeah, right after basically being like, oh, well, we're going to take Teal'c and we're going to, like, do tests on him and treat him like a tool. But this gold larva that is possessing one of our men, he's a sentient creature. You can't do this to him. And oh, I, it's, we it's, were it's, burning with anger. Yeah, my only, my only indication there is uh, right before the episode ends where Jack says, it sounds like Kennedy's, his ethics are selective. And you and I both went, you noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you sure? Really? You know, that lovely little psychotic asshole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like seething in the corner the whole time. But yeah, so, and that's the moment when he's doing that garbage where Hammond goes, no, if I have to call the president to change this, I'm going to. We're doing the surgery. I will call the president right in front of you if I have to. I like how the whole episode like, kind of like leads up to this moment. The surgery itself is actually a pretty quick scene. Oh, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> quick. Over and done um, pretty fast. Before that happens, like, they have Teal'c in the same same yeah. room as him, and they're testing, testing anesthetics on the larva in his stomach, which is honestly ingenious. No, it's great. What I love, though, that I didn't notice it until this particular <laughs> watching, is when you, when they <laughs> pan out, you can see him laying there, and Christopher Judge obviously has been laying there for a little <laughs> while because his ankles are crossed. He's just, like, totally just relaxed and comfy. It's not really... Doesn't really fit the tone oh, of the scene per se. Okay, I know we we play the game of am I a Jack or a Daniel in this episode, but can I say I'm a Christopher Judge in this episode? <laughs> we filmed this this particular scene five times already. I am tired. Yeah, it's like da da da. Just because all he's doing is laying there. <laughs> but it's definitely like you know honestly, part of me is kind of wondering um because you know back then aspect ratios were different. His feet may not have been in the scene back in the beginning. Maybe. You know, you hear about the last oh, one on Netflix. Oh, that's true, yeah, it would it have to be crazy out. bad aspect ratios. Well, it was 1997, I so I, I really wouldn't put it past that. I just think it'd be kind of funny if that's the reason yeah. why he Maybe. has ankles crossed. I just think Christopher Judge didn't give a shit. <laughs> it's, it's, either way, it's kind of a win-win. It was either he didn't give a shit or had, they didn't think about it at the time, or it was out of the shots they didn't care. Well, there we go. Either way, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, so they're uh, they're testing the anesthetics on him, and they think they have a good blend. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also established that oh. the Jaffa don't have a uh, mental connection uh, with the gold inside of them. It's, oh, they they really are just incubating them. They're not. Oh they're not god, it. <gasps> that incubator that line. part where that Fuck guy that. said basically mm-hmm. insinuated that Jaffa, um, which basically translates to incubator. incubator. Oh, it's like this fucking. guy is meant to be hateful. Yeah. You are supposed to hate. He's kind him. of a one-dimensional character. <laughs> What's, what's so, so amazing about Stargate is that, like, this, this show is a 
military command. This show does not stray away from being very clear about their opinions of the military. <laughs> what? And so in terms of military, the Air Force has always been somewhat, I wouldn't say tamer, but has just been less antagonistic. Because mm. they have so much that they do. Yeah. Not that the Navy and, you know, whatever, whatever doesn't, but, like, you know, if these had been, like, Marines, this conversation, never, none of the shit that goes down in any of these episodes ever would have gone down if it had been, like, Marines or, you know, Remember, there is the Marine team. Right, but one team. And remember how hot-headed oh, they yeah. are? <laughs> well, yeah, they're sent in for combat. That yeah. is their job. They're yeah. only there for combat. Yeah. They're for, like, the extreme situations. There's the people that are military, but they have all-encompassing kind of jobs. Yep. And then there's these guys who just send in to shoot stuff. Oh, yeah. What we, uh, what we skipped over uh, was earlier they talked about how, when they were questioning Teal'c about the gold in, um, in Kowalski, he made a comment about how, when they were asking, hey, could we possibly remove it? He said, if the gold, who will be aware and will be seeing through Kowalski's eyes, if the gold thinks that it's in danger of being removed, it can kill the host. And it will. <laughs> which is why they were experimenting with anesthetic on teal, because they wanted to make sure that the gold was asleep itself when they were doing the surgery. They, they kind of, like, they don't ever say it outright, but they're kind of going with the idea that because it's also not a, as he pronounced it, mature yeah. uh, one, that their chances are slightly better mm-hmm. because of that. It's a baby. The idea is that, yeah, it may, it may have a genetic memory of all the gold before it. However, its experience is pretty limited, so it might not do the things that an adult would. Oh god, we missed the part when they, the, um, we also missed the part where, where Kennedy wanted to talk to the gold and Kowalski. Yeah, and torture fucking Kowalski to let it, uh, have god. control of him. Yeah, but we get that first great heel turn with that actor of shifting into... And, and, and it's not just that the every the other facial, time, his whole face just smooths for a second, mm-hmm. and it gets really aggressive. Because every other mm-hmm. time he turned, he went gold, he, like, his head was turned away, and he turned... And suddenly you see his eyes, or he was off camera, and suddenly he's. But this time, like he changes, and you, it's this like sharp, like stiffening of his muscles, mm-hmm. and then like his face he moves, like regal. you said, yes, it becomes regal, and mm-hmm. it's so funny because this gold, who is a baby, is so Which egotistical. I love because it plays into the whole idea because it's of the genetic memory. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like it'd be hard pressed not to be arrogant if you have the memory of how many generations of snakes before you. <laughs> and it's just so funny that, yeah, like, it makes sense. It's a free pass but it's dicks, so but it's funny because he's so egotistical. Release like, me. I know, and I bet he's not even, like, a prince or anything. I bet he's some oh. fucking low-level no, yeah, loser. Yeah. He was acting he like He was just king. your average gold and the some random Jaffa. Mm-hmm. He wasn't being... Bred for purpose. Yeah, he, he was wasn't be in a, like a priestess yeah, he was be or a anything. Soldier type. Yep, that's why it's so great how egotistically he was being. I was like, all right. But yeah. So basically, uh, the surgery seems to be a success. They're like, all right, we removed it. We're good. He's he seems to be healthy. There's no side effects that we can see. This is great. Um, that surgery sure was easy. Cough, cough. And what's great is like after the surgery is a seemingly a success. You can see that Hammond's really started to change his mind about Teal. Mm-hmm. Because Teal's was indispensable yes, in exactly. helping with Kowalski. Like, he started this episode being like, no, this is a subject. And at, we can do what we yeah. want with him. He's not a human. And at no point has he fought them on anything. He has been cooperative up the wazoo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can see he clearly has changed his mind about Teal. Mm-hmm. So it's really great. 
Um, well, I did, you know, trust but verify kind of thing. Yeah. He may not have had it trust to begin with, but he definitely got verified. <laughs> and then it's great because, like, in, in Quality and his recovery, um, he wants to, like, talk to Kiel. And he does, like, this whole thing where he's like, you know, I want to keep a private moment between us. It's fine. You guys can leave because Kiel had some uh, guards with him. And so they walk out. That shipment is such a fucking... I, like, I know. He's just so casual sitting there like, hey, the guy saved me. I want to shake your hand. Hey, guys, you can leave him alone. It's fine. Yeah, and the moment they walk out, this is the one. This is where I was talking about how I'm. I want to believe that they sped it. I'm not even saying they sped it up that much. I'm saying like point one or something. They sped it up yeah. just enough. He whips his head around so sharply mm-hmm. and turns gold again. And has that creepy smile on his face. It's great. It looks like he should have given himself whiplash. But yeah, he's he's got a great heel turn in, into gold. This uh, actor. He either has excellent muscle control or there's a food or they sped it up yeah. a little bit. It was so good. He just turns, and then he's basically trying to, like, choke Teal out, like, calling him, like, a traitor, and basically trying to kill Teal. And so they struggle. He gets away. Teal didn't, that doesn't die. Nope. <laughs> that would be a very short, Teal is a big member of this team. If Teal dies now. <laughs> Supercharged strength or not, Teal is up and, you know, is this big-ass fucking dude against the quality. But yeah, so Teal doesn't die, which is good, because then he has this beautifully traumatic <laughs> <laughs> Power pose. He's got spread his legs, legs spread. His feet are spread out wider he than his shoulders. He dominates that ramp. Yes, he's just like, because Kowalski like dials in and he's ready to charge through and go back home. And, to, and he, oh, and he locks out the dial out program, uh, has the self destruct set that it's going to go off, and he's ready to go. And Tilka's just standing on the ramp in like, front of him. Bitch. And he's just got his legs Going spread. Somewhere. It's just that power pose. It's just like, I will not move. <laughs> and they struggle on the ramp again. There's a there's a League of Legends character, I can't think of his name right now, but he has this uh, thing he shouts while he's fighting. I will not falter. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see because we're judging his head. I will not falter. <laughs> I just, when I saw that pose that he was doing on the ramp, I thought of, um, these days there's the joke about uh, T-posing to assert dominance. <laughs> and that's what I thought about. I was like, if he had his arms out, he would be T-posing to assert yeah. dominance. But yeah, from this scene until the end of the episode, which you know, is only a couple of minutes, really, mm. All the camera angles, great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dramatic camera angles. Oh, really? Sharp Good. camera angles. Yes. Fighting, uh, mm-hmm. just upside down, right side up. It's amazing. It's but yeah, it's so basically well they, have a, they have a fight on the ramp with the open gate behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in the control room, Jack and Hammond are working to turn off the gate and turn off the self-destruct. Which, <laughs> I like how he's like, oh, I need two commanding officers. And it's like, okay, well. Like you have two Yeah, right that's there. easy. Like, he makes it seem it's like a it's a weirdly superfluous deal. line. I know. He makes it seem like it. I understand that, like, down the line it is a big deal. I think, because yeah, I think Jack it just becomes more, more of that setup stuff. Yeah. It's more of that setting it up. In an episode where they ha- did a pretty good job of not having such glaringly yeah. outright lines, this <laughs> one stands so out. Because it's, it was it's like, all right, like, Hammond. Like, yeah, you got yourself a colonel and a general. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Moving along. But yeah, so they they deal with um, turning the self-destruct off and disengaging the gate. Just in time for Teal to shove part of Kowalski's head through the event horizon so that when it disengages, a little sliver of his head. Oh, and it, it, it's a great moment that showcases Jack's ability to be, you know, do what he has to do. Because uh, yeah. this entire time has been him He's watching desperately it the... trying to keep his friend alive because mm-hmm. he and Kowalski are good friends. When it comes down to saving... Kowalski, potentially saving Kowalski, and keeping this gold from getting off of the planet. He makes that he choice. Ha- it's instantaneous. He has no qualms mm-hmm. about doing this, where he goes, Tilk, hold him yeah. in the event horizon. He does what he has to do. It has and to then, hurt to do it, but And then, um, kudos to Richard D. Anderson, 
that uh, look after that face. happened, face. he looked heartbroken. He didn't I know. say anything. Devastated. Uh, it's just in his eyes and on his, he, you can yeah. tell he, that he just, he's lost another son, basically. Yeah, he's like, well, there goes another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad. By the way, can we take a moment to reflect on the fact that they purposely changed the name of O'Neill's kid to Charlie, <laughs> Charlie for the show? Which is weird, because now he and Kowalski have the same name. <laughs> Also because it's they never bizarre. call it out. I know. Like, they changed it, but they don't make it a plot point or something. Yeah, it's weird. It's just weird that they named the kid Charlie, and then second episode, all of a sudden, they're not calling him Kowalski. He's been calling him Kowalski this entire time, and then and also he, he does call him like Charlie five times point, this episode. Yeah. It's oh, just, yeah, it's during their heart, heart episode yeah. surgery, I think. It's just weird to me that they share a name, and it's never really something they point out. Yeah. It's just an odd detail. I wonder if that might have had some, like, I wonder if that's Maybe why they changed Maybe it was something things. they were going to do down the Maybe, line. Maybe, yeah. Like, it was, like, a, a proposed and then forgotten kind of new idea. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it was, it was a background detail that they, they cared about themselves. I don't know, but it definitely had to have, there has to have been something there. Oh, yeah, definitely. There had to have been some intent. But one thing I really love about, so basically, um, the starting sets off, it carves off, like, a diagonal chunk of Kowalski, the back of Kowalski's head. And what I love about this special effect no doubt physical effects, mm-hmm. is that they don't ever film the missing chunk of his head directly on. Mm-hmm. Basically, you see you his see head his being forced into the event horizon. The event horizon cuts off, and as he's falling out of Teal's hand, his body like rotates so that as he's falling, you see the chunk of his head that's yeah. missing. Yeah, he's so it's like saying, some pink brain matter. Yeah, exactly. It. It's an in-movement shot so that like you see it. It looks great. But it doesn't linger long enough for you to start seeing the flaws. Yeah, it's not gratuitous. Yeah, exactly. It's not gratuitous, and it also doesn't linger long enough to start seeing flaws. Mm -hmm. But I just, I love the fact that it's like, and it's not even just like a straight fall. It's like this twist fall. and It's really Like like a limp body hook. Yes, I love it. I love that shot. It's Mm -hmm. a really good shot. Followed immediately by the uh, practical effect of the chunk of dead gold falling out of his brain that's very clearly just a fucked up condom. (laughs) And shriveling and smoking. I love how it deflates. Why would it deflate? It deflates and then smokes. I don't why is it smoking? I don't know. Why is it deflating? But yeah, it's clearly a condom. All I can think about the smoking is that it has something to do with like the acidic. Oh, I can see that, yeah. Like something in the air doesn't do well with like yeah, acid like or base, blood, something you know, like that. Crap that's in the yeah. Coming out of I don't it. know. Whatever it is, it's gross. Oh yeah, it's not appealing at all. And then you have your little sad scene where uh, he and Teal, you know, Teal goes, you know, he was your friend, and Jack says, my friend died on the table. Yeah. And then they just leave the body there. <laughs> they do. They just walk they just off. Walk away. Just no. Never mind this dead body left on the ramp in the I middle of the room. I did say my friend room. died on the table. This thing's I don't know what this is. This Throw is, it in the garbage. Is <laughs> just a hunk of nothing it's like um okay like they literally everybody just walks away yeah. just leaving this body it's like you know that's gonna start decomposing right well, <laughs> like, i imagine i imagine walter's off screen calling for I disposal know, but you know that as soon as the camera starts rolling like you know in you know in the universe event you know right after that you know some medical team comes and gets the body but the fact that no one stays they don't just leave it mm-hmm I've seen before in a lot of different yeah, kinds of media. Yeah, it's so funny every it's time weird. it happens. <laughs> or some vaguely along the same lines, like um, something important that someone uses and then like drops, and then like they leave the scene, and you're like, "Did you stop to pick that I up again?" Uh, okay, that'll never be useful again. No. Cool. It's like um, where's the logic? It's actually why um, I can't believe I'm referencing National Treasure of all things. <laughs> But it it was one of my I was it was a moment in, near the beginning that made me so happy because you remember the pipes. Yeah. 
Um, that Demir Shan's like, yes. Yeah, that he plugs in to get into the yeah, room. Yeah, they make a point of showing him grab it as he leaves. Right, it's like, oh yeah. And they're in the middle <sighs> of running. Like, it's a dangerous situation. They still make a point of showing him to grab it as he's leaving. Yeah. And I, I appreciated that so much because Just those little fucking the things. horror part of me is like, every time someone's like, well, I've used this, I don't need it anymore. It's like, no, what if you do? Hell, it's those moments where you see like this big dramatic, like putting it in kind of thing, and then the next thing they have in their hand again, it's like, when did that happen? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Those little things. Yeah. I'm strange like that. It's fine. No, I, I, <laughs> I feel that. We've had that conversation before. It's yep. Just, it's the little details. I've said it once. Uh-huh, I will say it a trillion uh-huh. more times before I die. I don't need much. I just need someone to give some semblance of a shit. <laughs> just little tiny details. I live for them. Because <laughs> it just shows that someone cared enough to be like, oh, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> you know what you say when you assume you're a bitch. <laughs> I'm not gonna assume jack shit. You assume that I care to assume, and I just need you to pretend. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. my suspension of disbelief gets killed so easily by that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so as a perfect little wrap up to this episode, um, the last scene shows Hammond on the phone with his BFF, the president. Yep. And it's so good Rubbing because. Rubbing it in. <laughs> And what's so good, earlier he had been threatening Kennedy with calling the president about Kowalski's surgery. Right. But we made a point about the fact that um, yeah. after the surgery, Hammond was clearly changing his mind about Teal. But Kennedy, so of course, is still call, determined to oh, yeah, take Oh, yeah, he's like, away. well, I couldn't get the gold larva, but I can still have this guy and, and treat him not like a human and at all. And that's when you get Jack's line about his ethics mm-hmm. being selective. Uh-huh, yep. But it's it's so great because Hammond actually does it for real and calls the president, and it's and so it great. Pans out, and there's yeah, Kennedy. It, it starts. It's just him at the desk chatting with the president. It's Next clear that they are Come on BFFs. down, we'll all hang out. Yeah, and like it's as he's talking, a barbecue or some shit. As he's talking with the president, it's, it starts slowly pan back, and then you see like Jack and Teal, <laughs> and then pan back a little bit further, and you see Kennedy, and he looks like he is sucking on a lemon. And what caps it off brilliantly is that Hammond hands the phone to Kennedy, and you can tell that Kennedy's just getting reamed on the phone. Like that nervous, like, uh, expression is just beautiful. <laughs> but basically, he called the president to be like, hey, I'm keeping Teal. I just love how the whole friendly conversation with Kennedy there is just to rub it in. Just oh, like, yeah. You called my bluff. Guess what? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Like full house, motherfucker. <laughs> and the episode caps off so beautifully. With our first contact team, SG-1, going on their uh, first mission together yay. through the gate. And you see them line up slightly off, you know, in a diagonal, yeah, and you can shot. see every single one of them. That classic action movie angle shot that's like on posters. That's a trope that will never die. It's so good, though. I love it. Some tropes exist for a reason, and I will defend them until my death. And that's a good one. Most tropes even die, but so... Where each person's slightly further ahead, so that while you're filming them sideways, you can see every single one of them. And they all stand there in front of the gate, and then they all calmly walk through. Now, I love that Teal goes first, yeah. because like, he's the guy who would oh, know he's what, the first. He's, he knows where they're, what they're walking into, mm-hmm. most likely. And he's also the most badass. Burliest. <laughs> he's the one who's going to take hits better. He has the staff. I love the fact that Daniel's the last one to go through, and you know what? It wasn't a personal choice on his matter. That was probably something that Jack... That was like Jack just like, Jack nope. pulled Daniel away <laughs> before they went up to the ramp and said, okay, you're going to be the last one to go through. But Jack, but Jack, no, Jack. you're going to be the last one to go through. But Jack, I will cut your Achilles tendon, Daniel. <laughs> and just, uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, 
establishing shot of like it's not the first episode but it's their, their moment, first moment and i can't wait i say that i can't wait for us to actually get into the meat but, but there's the gonna be some episode, rough episodes including the next one which is funny but it kills my so that, remember the last episode there was that thing where i'm not gonna touch that with sexism oh yeah, yeah, yeah. next episode's emancipation Oh god, is it? Yes! <gasps> that early? Yes! Oh god. I'm pretty sure. Give me the thing. Give me the thing. Oh yeah, I forgot I have the book right here. Oh no. Yeah, see? It's the one. It, oh, oh my god. Jesus. Okay. It's like the sexist. So I don't know if horror we mentioned. Show. I, I can't remember if we mentioned already. Season one's a rough ride. Which is funny because it got great ratings. <laughs> season one has. Well, it was also the 90s. No, I know. It's like, it's. Oh, uh, but man. season one has a great intro. It's got a couple of really great episodes right in the center, and then a really great ending, and then there's a whole bunch of garbage episodes. To be fair, at least Emancipation consistently from the beginning to the end consistently establishes, establishes that uh, Sam ain't gonna put up with no. this shit. But <laughs> she I just hates every moment of the crap they make her go through. I know. And she is not quiet about it, which I like. I, that being said, fuck this episode. I hate Emancipation oh, God, so it's much. painful. Also, I uh, feel like it's a bit racist considering how they use oh, an it's Asian super society racist. for it. It's super racist because the outfits don't match the society. Not even that. It's the fact that they, for, the, for a sexist episode, they chose a mm-hmm. Chinese-esque. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guys, every society is sexist and you went with this one. You know why? Chinese, of course, you know, ancient times with the whole lotus feet, yeah. the bound feet. Mm. I, as no Asian ancestry whatsoever, have no place to make any comments. I'm not going to attempt to. I understand that it's not, it's not pretty. And I get that it's an easy thing to use, which means they should not have done it. <laughs> not to mention emancipation is just so poorly planned. We, sh- we shouldn't get into this. Yeah. But we'll get into that when we do that episode. And you're going to hear a lot of complaining from us because yeah. it's a garbage episode. Yeah. And it's what I call the first of a theme in season one called, hey guys, hey guys, do you remember that Carter's a woman? Do you remember that she's a woman? What hey, I hate is hey, that you remember she's a woman. Hey, by the way, stop using her as a woman as a plot point. It's, it's if we're not being fridged, we're being used yeah. as a reason. No matter That's what. Right. We'll we'll complain about it then. We need to give this uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs I'm giving down a thumbs up. I'm giving Kennedy a middle finger, and oh, I'm yeah, giving yeah. the episode a thumbs up. Yeah, I definitely. Um, Kennedy gets a thumbs down, but Kennedy the episode gets itself gets a thumbs up. Oh, it's yeah. a great finisher to yeah. uh, Children of the Gods. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's it does a really good transitions job. from Children of the Gods yes. into the show quite well. Yes, exactly. It transitions really well into the formula of the the basic formula of the future episodes. Mm-hmm. It it sets the up planet of the week. Yeah, it sets up their rules for the planets of the week. It sets it does a really good job of setting all that up without making it seem like exposition dump. It sets up a lot of the um, future mythos between the Tari yep. and the Gold. Yep. And they haven't they haven't said the word system lord yet. No, but they Teal alluded to it quite mm-hmm. nicely. Oh yeah, with you know some rule many planets yep. and have yep. many yep. people following them. It's and good. it does, yeah, and it does a really good job of um, building on Daniel's thing mm-hmm. with yep. Shade. Uh, are we a Jack or a Daniel for each of us? And this one, and I'm Daniel. No, sorry, Jack. <laughs> I was thinking Daniel because I want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I really <laughs> just like, drinking fuck tons like of caffeine. It's like I was saying, I'm like mood Daniel for trying to take a nap and getting assaulted by a dead body. Uh, that whole thing where he tries to act like caffeine will keep him alive. Right. It's like, you can't stay awake all day. I can try. <laughs> I think I do have to be a Daniel for this one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be a Jack for this one because Jack had it, had it down. He was a nice little intermediary. Yeah. Which I had to do growing up I a lot. Can't, 
I can't I can't divorce myself that way with you've had to teach yourself that with because of your whole growing up. Um, <laughs> with my parents, oh yeah. But like I've got such like firm anti-establishment at this point. <laughs> And it's not just like, I don't want to sound like an anarchist or something. I was just going to say, dude. But, like, I just have, I've, I've said this before, um, and if I ever actually have to get to the point to where they try and actually actively put me on a jury pool, then I'm going to be like, hey, I have no faith in the judicial system. And it's kind of the same way. It's not that I'm, like, an anarchist. I just have no faith in the current system. But, yeah, which means that I can't have that whole middle ground, like, with Jack. I can't do it. Whereas... There's going to be a lot of instances in later episodes where I'm like, yeah, Daniel, yeah. <laughs> because he's very firmly like, I don't give a shit what your military says. Basically, if any of those episodes um, are similar to specific moments in my childhood, those would be great times for me to be like, I'm, on, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. Daniel in this moment. However, those were a lot of those moments in childhood where I'd be like, yeah, fuck this shit, and then I get my ass kicked. <laughs> so then it's like, All right, so, so yeah. I'm you, Jack. <laughs> so you're Jack, I'm Daniel. Yep. Yeah, I just, I really felt it when he went to take a nap. <laughs> I was like, yeah, same, Daniel, same. Uh, God, can I take a nap in an underground facility? I think I could actually sleep straight through if I did that. God, I think my ears would die. You know, I can't, you know me, I can't even go to the deep end of the pool. So, um, no deaths. I mean, Kowalski died, but... <laughs> no deaths aside from the main one. <laughs> no, no SG-1 deaths. So, so no, 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 nothing to add to the death tally. That'll change things. <laughs> now... Uh, so that's the end of our um, episode today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at it's Mel Not List or List at it's List Not Mel. Uh, you can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and throw it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a message or review one of those. Either or both. If you didn't like it, why are you listening to this, man? Yeah, this is the third episode I know, now. Right? I feel like this has been established. As always, thank you for joining us on today's incursion through the iris, and until next time. Bye.